Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Hello, welcome back to episode 38 of the Shinomics Podcast. A big, big shout out to the people who took in the previous week's podcast. I apologize for the sound quality. So hopefully this week, the sound quality is back to normal. My second time in the studio, so hopefully I don't botch it this time. But yeah, last episode was a very, very good podcast, I believe. Got a lot of good feedback. An honest discussion on the gender pay gap, as well as the equal pay gap. Explaining why they're different measures, how they're calculated, why they do not mean the exact same thing. They're both different measures showing different things. And a big debate along that and how society affects those gaps and why these uh, measures are important some more important than others yeah so make sure you check that out in your spare time and let me know what you think especially um ladies i want to hear your feedback and i'll look and next time i tackle these subjects i hope to get a female um, voice on it but yeah this is episode 38 and we're moving on onto money so a lot of people have been asking about cryptocurrencies. This podcast will touch on cryptocurrencies, but I have a cryptocurrency podcast next week. And my homie Bola will have one this week, so you can check that out in the meantime as well. But I want to explore cash and how society is moving towards a cashless society. You might be thinking, what the hell am I talking about? Well, a cashless society is where the economic state in question, so let's say, for example, the UK, let's say the UK is a cashless society, where the UK, in the UK, the, the financial transactions are not conducted with actual physical fiat currency, physical money. So they're not conducted with your £10 note, known as a tenner, fiver, known as a £5 note, no, £5 note, known as a fiver, some of us we call twenty pound note scores and fifty pound note pinkies. So a bit of lingo for you. No one pound coins, two pound coins, fifty p, etc., etc. A cash society is where we move beyond the physical money into more digital money. Everything done electrically. All the transactions are electric, and we're seeing steps towards that right now contactless payments and now we don't even have to do chip, chip and pin in fact was actually a big revelation 
not too long ago. But now we've got contactless. You could just pick up a young Mac D's, beat, slap your car within a second. The money's gone to prove you keep it moving. We've got on, we could pay stuff online. We've got online banking. Everything is moving digitally. And there are some reasons for that. So I'm going to explore that because I ran a poll on Twitter today, or yesterday, just to get um, people's views on it. And it was quite interesting because the results, in my opinion, maybe because I'm a slightly a bit more than an average person, kind of contradict to themselves. So the first question I ask is, Hi guys, just to let you know the future is cashless. Cash will eventually be phased out. Are you scared? Over 500 people voted. 45% you said yes, 55% no. Next question. Do you worry about the safety of your money in current and savings accounts? 46 people, 46% of people said yes, 54% said no. So that kind of follows the previous numbers, 45, 55. Next question. Would you be happy if cash was completely eradicated and all our money was kept digitally? Credit cards, debit cards, etc. Now, this is where it got interesting. Only 30% of people said yes. 70% of people said no. And my final question was, when we become a cashless society, will you be worried about the safety of your money in the hands of the banks and authorities? Because obviously, if there's no cash, physical cash, all your money will be kept digitally in banks, etc. 79% of people said yes, and 21% people said no. Which to me was kind of interesting because my first question was, are you scared about cash being phased out? And only only 45% of people said yes. But 79% of people were worried if banks have complete autonomy over their money. So I think maybe there isn't a clear and center path about what's going on. And that is the role reason for this podcast. So... Cashless society. As I said, we've been trending that way for a very, very long time. In 2016, so last year, in the UK, one in seven people no longer carry or use cash. One in seven Brits. That is a lot of people, right? I'm one of those people. I never carry cash. I hate carrying cash. I hate taking out cash. I hate paying for things with cash. I have to pay for something with cash. I won't buy it. Like, not too long ago, I was in Brixton. I want to get a cheeky cheese beef patty. Well, cheeky one or two or three, because <laughs> I'm greedy. Came to the shop, and they were like, nah, gee, our card machine's broken. You're like, there's a cash down the road. I said, nah. The next time I was there, safe, I think that happened three times in a row. I refused to go out and take £10 out. I hate having cash with me. I had to find it easy to carry card. So, yeah, my rent done. So, yeah, a lot of people are moving on to digital use of money and less cash. Or shall I say, digital transactions instead, electronic transactions, why am I chasing? Anyway. And if you look for the last, let's say, 10, 15 years, we've seen a lot of intermediaries pop up in the tech industry. So intermediaries like the middleman, PayPal, for example, a group of 21, 22, 23-year-olds created PayPal um, and they sold it to eBay for $1.2 or $1.3 billion dollars. So jealous, so so jealous. So PayPal is a intermediary for sending money. Like for example, one of my homies 
if she wants me to grab a site and she'll send me money via PayPal. It's quick and efficient. You can just withdraw it, send it. You can pay for stuff, buy goods and services. I'm sure those who have used eBay, well, I'm not sure how many of the young listeners use eBay because Amazon kind of really took over the eBay thing. But when I was in uni, eBay was the thing. So I used to bang eBay and PayPal was one of the things. And we use PayPal for stuff like paying for concert tickets or ordering food online, etc. Even Apple Wallet or Apple Pay and Android Pay have come along. We've got contactless payment by cars. There's been a lot of advancements in the electronic core transaction industry. So I was looking at some information. If you look at the, um, the United States user consumer survey study, that 75% prefer using credit card or debit card as, as payment methods. So three in four Americans prefer using their cards instead of cash. 11% of people prefer cash. And I'm assuming from the information I've seen and using a bit of um, common sense that those 11% probably tend to be more the older generation that uh, kind of grew up on using actual um, hard cash in terms of um, physical money. The Nordic nations in Europe have been ahead of the game as well as Kenya, but I'll get on to Kenya later. If you look at um, the Nordic nations and you compare them to the, EU, um, to the standard European nations, the rate at which they use um, cards in terms of, uh, in relation to cash, is quite staggering. Danish people make almost four times the card payments that the average European does. This is the same with people from Finland. And if you look at the Icelanders or Norwegians, it's six times the amount of card payment. So the average you the average European users um use like card let's say eighty eight times a year. They use like two sixty. Um Icelanders use like three seventy five. Norwegian use like three sixty times a year. So you can see like in that Nordic region they are more in tune with using their cards instead of using cash. And if you look at Kenya, Kenya's a very, 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 very interesting case. A long time ago, well not too long ago, let's say we like a ten, like a decade ago, Kenyans used to send each other the minutes that they did not use via their phones. And these aren't no iPhone X. These are just standard uh, <coughs> on the roads. We call them the tra- the trap phones. You know those fifteen pound phones, those really like basic phones that could just basically text and call. They used to send each other via text message the minutes that they have not used. And I think it's Safricom they teamed up with Vodafone to make. This technology where instead of just using that texting service to send minutes, you could actually send money credits instead. So it's called M-Pesa. So what Kenyans do is they actually pay for goods and services and send money to each other via M-Pesa, via text messaging. And it's off these basic 15, £10 phones. So instead of them using the Kenyan shilling, really they just use M-Pesa credits, via payment credits via the Vodafone servers. So what happened in Kenya is essentially is that the primary transfer of currency is actually being carried out via Vodafone servers, really, and not the, the Kenyan banks with the shilling. Banks in Africa, especially in Kenya, can be very bureaucratic. There's ridiculous fees. You want to cash checks and stuff. And also, if you're in, a, in rural areas, you don't really have that access to banks. So it's a lot more efficient and convenient for Kenyans just to text each other money. 
and you can use these credits in um these impacer credits to actually take out actual cash but most of them will just rather keep pinging each the money to each other and it's got to a point where it accounts for like a third of the economy and even mark zuckerberg he went to visit because he um facebook i think they're trying to bring in jump get involved in the payment game because it's a big it's a massive market if you get if you could get involved in payment transactions you can make some very very good money but we're going to discuss that later so yeah in kenya they essentially cut out the impacts of the authorities because money's not kept in not being going through the banking system it's going via from phone to phone peer to peer so that is an example of how the transaction are becoming way way more um, electronic and kenya was ahead of the game way ahead of the game and we're going to see that in my opinion come to the rest of the world in the not too distant future now back to the nordic nations according to the rick to the rick's bank that is the swedish central banks central bank so the equivalent of the ecb or the bank of england cash transactions just about made up two percent of the total value of all payments in 2015 just two percent and they believe in the next three years so by 2020 they expect it to drop to 0.5 percent that is a massive indication of sweden moving into a cashless society massive massive indication and if you look at south korea they'll stop having coins as a legal tender by 2020 so within the same time frame even india they eliminated the 500 and 1,000 um, rupee bills, which caused hella people to be queued up at ATMs. So we're seeing it around the world in some, even in some places like India and Kenya that you, we, we may not see as advanced technology, te- technological-wise, are moving to a cash society. It's a global phenomenon. Now, if we take it back to home, the UK, the use of electronic payment methods in the UK is only rising. And I'm pretty sure we've all seen that. How many of you used to go to the shop and buy like a new pair of traders of cash? Now it's just, boom, let me take out my card. Or if you're buying something, sometimes it's a contactless thing or Apple Pay or Android Pay. In 2016, almost 300 million was spent through mobile contactless payments across 38 million different transactions. This was a massive, astronomical, 247% increase from 2015. And obviously that's probably due to also to the introduction of Android Pay, but this is only going to go up and up and up and up. Maybe not the rates of increases go up, but we're going to see more and more money spent, more and more transactions going through mobile contactless payments. Less and less people are using ATMs less or less because we don't need cash as much like before people take or have will use cash to pay for like the more smaller things so like a coffee or hot chocolate or bag of crisp or a can of coke now because of small amount you don't have to really take out cash i mean carrying young coins in your bag you just boom quick contactless which also kind of helps you spend even more well helps the businesses spend more because if you're just using your card so if you think, okay, cool, I've only got one pound, I can only really buy like one one beverage. Oh, because it's contactless and you know how much you got in your account, you can maybe pick up a, a chocolate as well. And also like the psychological impact of 
it just being your card and you're handing over physical cash makes it easier for us to be suspended. And I find it quite ironic how we're using less ATMs because now we're seeing more and more ATMs charge us for usage. Like, you know, when you're going into, let's say, maybe a night out and then they say, oh, no, we don't, we can't take card for you to pay to get in. And they have that one ATM by the um, corner shop that's charging you £75 to go withdraw £20 notes. You know, the ones there. So it's quite ironic how we don't need them as much, which is a bit cheeky. They're charging us to withdraw our money, but, you know, game to game across Europe similar similar trends are happening obviously you've got some countries where it's a bit different for example Germany they use cash more than more than others in the in the UK in the Europe's in Europe sorry an ING survey showed that German responders signaled that they're that only 10% of them really use cash compared to one in three which was average for Europe and if you compare it to their neighbors on either side the Poles and the French, 33% of Polish people um, really use cash and 35% of fr- of the French really use cash. So this is considerably higher than Germany. So it's still a cultural thing. So it may take some time in certain areas, but overall we're seeing more and more countries and, and economies moving to cashless. So yeah, there you have it. The evidence put forward to how we're moving into a more cashless society. So now it's time to be a bit more analytical and have a bit more of a debate of it. What's the big deal? What's the pros? What's the cons? And how does crypto and how do cryptocurrencies fit into this? So, what's the big deal with us moving to cashless society? There are some advantages of us moving to cashless society, and I will speak about the advantages. And I don't want to sound biased to maybe the more worrying segments but i feel like the more let's say worrying aspects of the potential move well not the potential the inevitable move to cashless society is grossly under discussed and it might not come natural to people so it's probably more beneficial for me to give a more detailed explanation but i'll give some of the advantages for advantages one of the key advantages of us moving to a more cashless society is sheer convenience and speed like, for example, not too long ago, I went um, went out of my homie Evie. Shout out, Evie. Listen up the podcast. And I actually forgot my card holder. Like a bum. Like a real bum. Luckily for me, it's Apple Pay. So I was still able to pay because I had my phone with me. And it's got to a point where most of the time I leave my wallet at home because I'll Apple Pay it. If I'm going to work, I have my Oyster card on my travel card ticket wise and if i really if i need to buy anything i could just use my phone so i don't actually carry my wallet with me all the time or my card holder should i say all the time you've got a convenience where you don't have to bundle around your bag for coins you can just quickly bring out your phone and pay contactless makes the whole process quicker so you don't actually have to you know type in your pin you know you get to um to the till and someone's forgot their pin and whatnot even with me, I've got an Apple Watch and some of us have Apple Watches or whatever digital watch we have. You can even pay with your Apple Watch. I would have done that because it looks a hella bookie, me flipping my wrist. Look at the flick of the wrist. Um, anyway, putting my wrist on the Oyster card machine or the chip or the card holder at, at Sainsbury's, but that is also another advantage. Another advantage is safety. Like, we don't carry cash as much. So now people 
so especially um businesses if we go cashless you can't run up in the till and say yo bring out the pick there's no till anymore we're gonna do steal the <laughs> credit card receipts it's safe and even when i was looking at um, a couple documentaries in regards to the system in kenya and pesa like a couple um, ladies, obviously, who are merchants, they sell whatever they want, their goods and services in the market. They're like, it's so much safer for us now. I don't have to carry cash with me the whole day and worry in case somebody comes to rob me. And also, as I said, the speedier process. You know, people buzzing through their bags for fine extra 5p or whatnot. You could just quickly, boom, get your card get your card out, chip and pin, or contactless, Apple, Android Pay, boom. Easy as you like. So those are some of the advantages. And I'm sure there are many more, but I want to really focus on the potential drawbacks so we have a better understanding of what and how to safeguard ourselves. Transaction costs. And this is more towards businesses and as well as consumers. Every time you pay for something digitally or electronically, whichever one is a better word. Sorry, I'm Nigerian. It is what it is. Every time you pay electronically, Somebody is eating. Somebody's eating. For those who know what eating means in this regards, sorry for my slang, eating means making money. Yeah? E-R. Somebody's eating from every transaction. So every time you go to, you go to the shops, buy a young jollof rice, whether it's from Jollof House, shout out Jollof House, Brixton Sundays, 4 to 10, search Jollof House on Instagram and Twitter. It's tasty food. So whether you're paying for food, or you're buying, I don't know, groceries or paying for your electric if you're doing them top-up things. Somebody is going to make money off that transaction. That's how Visa make their money. They make the money off every transaction. PayPal make money off transaction. And Apple will make money off transaction if you use Apple Pay, but I'll get onto that later. There are merchant service charges. There's author- authorization fees and all sorts. There's so many different charges that you don't really, really notice. But they exist. So, if you look at from the merchant, so if you're a business, and I'm sure some of some of the listeners have businesses or their parents have businesses or their friends have businesses and they have like a chip and pin machine, it's, it's kind of more annoying for small businesses because those fees really add up and make a difference in your margins. But if you're paying via debit or debit cards, the cost, this is UK numbers, by the way, it could be a 0.25 to 0.35% charge on every transaction to the merchant. Consumer credit cards could be up to 0.9%. So if you set £10 transaction, you get charged 0.9% of that. And commercial credit cards, no, I mean, yes, Commercial, no, standard, sorry, a commercial credit cards is 1.6 or 1.8%. And when I, was, I think I looked at Canada, and Canada's like up to 3%. So if you spend $100, they chop $3. It's not easy. So think about it. Yeah, you may feel, okay, these are small charges, but every single time there's a transaction. Remember, I mentioned 38 million transactions. So 38 million transactions... That means 38 million times somebody was chopping dough <laughs> from these transactions. Now, I want to bring in Apple Pay and Android Pay. So Apple and Google, two mega big companies in a tech game who have really revolutionized the way we live our lives. So I'm going to talk about Apple first. Apple linked up with JP Morgan 
and I had various other partners, MasterCard and whatnot, to create what we know as Apple Pay. For those who don't know, I'm surprised you don't, Apple Pay is literally where like, I have a Halifax bank account. I connect my Halifax bank, uh, my bank card to my phone and my phone acts as the bank card. So I just double tap the home screen and then my bank card comes up and I either push um, my home button with my fingerprint or type in my code and it acts as my, my card. And it's unlimited. This is a very, very good invention, in my opinion. I find it so useful, as I mentioned earlier. But Apple didn't do this for no reason. So Apple take a percentage of the percentage that these um, banks make of every transaction. So that's why Apple introduced it, which is very, very clever, because they're getting involved in the transaction game. And since a lot of people have iPhones and they're already dominating this market, it makes sense. And they were clever enough with the help of, obviously, the other um, banks and whatnot to make the process seem more realistic and more um, what's the word? more memorable, more comfortable. The fact that your card comes up, I think, makes a big, makes a big, big difference in your head. The fact that you're seeing your card come up, you know, boom, okay, this is this is thirty. So yeah, Apple cleverly got themselves involved in the transaction game and they're making money off it. It's not like mad significant to Apple's overall earnings, but I feel like it's gonna play a bigger and bigger part as the years go, especially as we go to a cash society. And I'm pretty sure Apple and Google are thinking, hmm, we could eradicate these banks sooner or later, we won't even need them. And I know the banks for that too. Now Google is different. Oh, a quick fact that I'm seeing that some some numbers is flying around that say Apple make 15 cents on every $100 transaction, which is, of course is a small number, 15 cents compared to $100, but keep adding up the transactions, adding them, up, adding them up, that's how they make their money. Now, Google now, they're different. Google do not take a single dime from anything that you spend Android Pay. However, what they do collect, and you can read the small print, is information. It is data. Data is a new oil. I'll hope to do a podcast on this one day. Data is a very, very, very lucrative industry, especially with advertisement. So think about it. If Android, Google, have access to your payment data, and for let me let me tell you what data that they have access to. They have the photos associated with any purchase you make, the email addresses of the merchant, the consumer, what you bought, when you bought it, how much you bought it for, where it's from, all types. I will try to go into the terms and conditions and actually take a snippet of that section and I'll show people because so it's better as so you can see. They get all the information. Why is this lucrative for them? Think about it. Advertisement is a massive industry. Massive, massive industry. What is better data and the more accurate data for advertisers to have than your payment history? Your payment history doesn't lie. It does not lie. What you buy, how often you buy it, where you buy it from, how much you buy of it, that is, a, that is the perfect 
combination of information for advertisers. And that is where Google was clever. And your phone will have everything. Especially if we're using our phones to do everything, which we do, a lot of us do, especially me, that is goldmine in terms of value. So that's the difference in Google and Android. Your payment data is essentially a record of how you live your life, whether you like it or not. It is what it is, perfect advertisement. So now think about it. That's why when you're on your, when you go to different websites, you'll be seeing adverts that are hella relatable to you. Like, for example, I was printing this beautiful Gucci jacket, and three days later, I was seeing it in adverts everywhere. <laughs> There's a reason for that. They've got all our data. Now, back in terms of how it's making these people money. Content, remember, Contactless first hit the rose 2008. RBS were one of the first people that were looking to introduce it, but then they got panned by the financial crisis in 2007-8. So Barclay Cars were the first people to jump on the wave. It was automatically a massive hit because it helps move them small transactions that we will usually use cash for, young Greggs, sandwiches, coffees, whatnot, electronically, via our bank cards. Why is this a hit for banks? Because as I said, they can make money off every single transaction. So if you give them an extra 10 million transactions a year, that's an extra 10 million times for taking a percentage. It's excellent for them. And also, as I said, the psychology of things. If you're paying for something via contactless, you're more likely to pick up an extra item because you're not physically handing over cash. So... To round up on that point, it's going to get a bit more costly to do business because merchants are going to be charged more. And this is really going to hit small businesses because, of course, <laughs> your their margins are getting eaten into. And, oh, okay, who else can it affect, impact more negatively? And before I go on to one of my more, I feel, more interesting points, I'm going to quickly breeze through these ones. Homeless people. In my opinion, we shouldn't be having homeless people in societies like the UK, Germany, France, Switzerland, Spain. We have there's too much money circulating in our economy to have people on the streets. So homeless people, how can they ask for money? They can't, unless they have a chip and pin machine themselves. They can't. If there's no cash, what happens to them? The charity people that are hustling for people, People are less likely to stand, give sign up form, direct debit than they are to give a spare ten, five, or one or two pounds. Who can a cashless society also impact negatively? So these people may, well, these stakeholders may sound a bit juvenile, but it's something to consider. In the, I wouldn't say in the case because it's inevitable, inevitable that we're going to become cashless. But once we become cashless. Some segments of our society are going to be seriously hampered. For example, homeless people. Unless they're not carrying chip and pin, how are going to give them money? We shouldn't be having homeless people anyway in societies like Germany, UK, United States, France, Switzerland, Belgium. There's way too much money going around in these economies for us to have people on the streets. But I still believe that's probably going to be the case where we become cashless. And what's going to happen then? Even in terms of charity... A lot of the char- some of the charity hustles are coming to sh- on the streets, pestering you while you're carrying your bags from Westfield, asking you to give them some money. 
you're less likely to sign up than to give a couple pounds. So that's another way to impact people. Manual labors. This is one of the big things. A lot of manual labors get paid via cash, either for sheer convenience or to finesse a tax man. Same way with um, the people who are employing them. It's a win-win for both parties. This is going to have a significant impact because how do you do this? Well, they could go um, via digital um, currencies like cryptos, but we'll get onto that later. Elderly people. Elderly people tend to be more stuck in certain ways. So if we randomly, not randomly, gradually move into cash society, it's going to have a negative impact on them because they do not really have the same technological upbringing that some of people my age and younger have. What about the people who work via tips? Not work, who make a considerable percentage of their money via tips. This would be quite interesting, but um, maybe tips might be more digitalized. For example, with Uber, you can now tip your Uber driver via your bank card, of course, or your PayPal. And small local businesses. Now, my mum has her own shop, and when I've been in my mum's shop and speaking to other shop owners, they always lament the transactional costs of people paying by chip and pin, by people paying their credit cards, debit cards. Obviously, if you're paying by cash, the bank can't exactly eat off that cash transaction. But if you're paying via your Visa, your Apple Pay, they're eating off those transactions. And merchants obviously bear the costs. So those are some of the people who are fed. Now, to something that I think is very important for us to understand and take in. So I'm going to try to do my very best to make this kind of more complex economics very um, simple. So negative interest rates. For those who haven't heard of my interest rates podcasts, I don't know if I can't remember how many ago, forgive me, but please check that out. So I'm assuming we know what interest rates are. Negative interest rates. So we've seen economic crisis happened a decade ago also did a podcast on that check that out and in times of economic crisis what central banks so that's the ecb in europe the federal reserve in the us the bank of england here i already mentioned the rix bank in sweden earlier what they do is they slash interest rates so that's reducing the rate of interest currently here is very low like less than a percentage point and this is to create incentives for us to go out and spend money and if we go out and spend money and business invest it increases the money circulation economy and try to get economic activity going to help recover the economy of course this didn't really work last time and they are thought and their thoughts of it going a step further into negative rates why interest rates uh, make a difference because if i tell you your interest rate has gone down from 10 percent, which it was like about a decade ago to what zero percent that means the money in your savers account you're making less money on it so the incentive for you to save has now reduced the incentive for you to now go out and spend has increased because you're not really making money if you just keep your bank account anyway in terms of investment if the interest rates are lower you can now go out and invest in your business because you could go out and take loans and the, the rate of return is a lot less in terms of your borrowing so it's cheaper for you to borrow now, negative rates. So Janet Yellen, so that's the head of the Federal Reserve, and others have been discussing the potential of negative rates. 
And this could be very potentially a bit spooky and dangerous for us if we move to cash society. And I'm going to explain to you why. Cash has a 0% interest rate. If you take up £500 for the bank, you you can't gain interest in it. You're not just going to suddenly... You won't suddenly magic have ten extra £10 note from nowhere. There's no interest rates on cash. So this kind of hampers the the banks because if we, if they let's say, okay, cool, we're going to reduce um, interest, um, we're going to reduce interest rate negatively, people just quickly run, okay, let's take out our cash. Now, why interest, why, why, what's the impact on negative interest rates? Negative interest rates will essentially pay people to borrow and penalise people who are saving because eventually your savers will be eaten away with the negative rates. Negative interest rates is what um, central banks believe can help stop people holding loads and loads of cash in bank accounts. And what they say, and this is sure if it's going to happen in actuality, this will not impact the average household with, with like, let's say, 3K in a savings account. This is mainly at targeted at insurance, comp- insurance, pensions, and commercial banks. So if you have like three racks your your ISA, you should be safe. But I don't know about that. If you look at um if you look at the theory of it, banknotes contain the central bank's power because they can't really slice the interest rates as much as they want to, because as I said, people just remove the cash. Now, let's say we're a cashless society. So you don't have 50 racks underneath your underneath your mattress. Everything is kept in our banks, right? And there's an economic crisis. Let's say um, the ass, I don't know, whatever asset goes bust, goes burst, sorry. The bubble, whatever, the asset bubble burst, whatnot. We're in crisis. And Janet Yellen, ECB, everybody said, yep, time to slash interest rates to minus, minus 10%, for example. How does that affect us? Well, commercial banks who have who who hold their money in central banks, the Bank of England saying, "Yeah, RBS, you lot, yep, we're gonna charge you this much to hold this money." That essentially is forcing them to go out and lend money to the economy. It's okay, cool. We're gonna make it good for you guys to borrow because they're going to lose money. But my thinking is they're going to pass on these costs to the consumer because banks ain't just going to take a hit. If you know anything about banks by now, is they do not just want to lose money. They specialise in money and making lots and lots of money. So they can pass on these rates onto the savers and say, okay, cool. If you have money in our savers account, it's a current negative interest rate. And we can't really protect ourselves as much if you have... A, and I'm, they'll probably target people who have a certain amount of money. This happened in Cyprus in 2013. If you had a, a certain amount of money in your bank account, <laughs> there was a haircut on it. They took some of it because of the crisis in Cyprus. This can happen. This can happen to anybody, potentially. And if there's no cash, you can't you can't take out money to protect yourself from it. So they can easily pass this on to the consumer, and that is one of the dangers of a potentially cashless system, because at any given time, banks could move higgy with your money. And it's nothing you could do about it because your money is kept by them. Now, 
this is where um, cryptocurrencies play in. I'm pretty sure many of us have heard about Bitcoin and how it's going up and Ethereum and whatnot. And I'm going to have a podcast on it soon. My homie Bola's also going to have a podcast on it. So there's going to be more information for you. But where cryptocurrencies play a part is very key. Cryptocurrency is a form of digital money. It's designed to be secure and free from regulation. And in some cases, anonymous. So you can send, I can send money to somebody in Syria or Iran or Nigeria or Venezuela and there's nothing at the moment that anybody, the government could do about it. If I wanted to send, let's say, I don't know, 500, like if I received, let's say, 700,000 pounds from my lady in Nigeria, automatically my bank could flag it up, hold the money, I might be able to touch it after, may have to say, oh, money's come from here and they could still just hold it if they want to. But with Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatnot, you can be sending money. And as long as the miners mine, slap the transaction on blockchain, boom, the money's gone. And it cannot be reversed. Obviously, that comes with its pros and cons. There are are different types of currencies, which I will get onto in later parts. It's become a massive phenomenon. Loads and loads of people are investing in it. Some people are getting it, getting in on the action because they see the massive rates of return. Some people are more interested in the fact that it's money or it's a currency that's free from regulation from anybody, really. And I think that's very key because cryptocurrencies gives you the opportunity to hold money and you're in charge of it. It's not a bank that's in charge that could potentially say, yo, we're going to take so-and-so amount or you can't spend so-and-so amount or question any transaction. It's up to you. And this is kind of how it works. If I let me explain a ledger. A ledger is just a documentation of financial accounts. So for those who work in accounting, you know about general ledgers and all that type of stuff. So just basically, okay, this is from transaction from here to here. Boom. There's a thing called a blockchain, which is a digital ledger. And there's, every time you make like a Bitcoin transaction, it is confirmed by a very complex maths problem which clever people and their powerful machines, there's like farms and loads and loads of these machines are guessing literally millions of times per second to solve this problem. And if they solve it, your transaction is completed and then they, and after a certain amount, they can earn coins from it. And it's like hundreds of thousands of them globally. So nobody's regulating this system. And this is the alternative, I believe, what's going to happen in the future where Ziva... Your money is held digitally by banks or you could potentially hold your money digitally by yourself. And of course, there comes with drawbacks. The drawback with stuff like Bitcoin is that because of the nature of the transaction, once the transaction is done, it's final. It cannot be reversed. It cannot be checked or whatnot. So if you unfortunately get hacked or somebody hacks your Bitcoin soft wallet or your account on, let's say, Coinbase or something like that, and takes your Bitcoin. There was a Bitcoin, how many, a couple of years ago, where like hundreds of thousands of Bitcoins were stolen. Stolen. 100,000 pounds worth of Bitcoins were stolen. You can't get it back. So, for example, if somebody, I don't know, deets your account to order some pizza, you can call up your bank and say, yo, this account, this wasn't me. Here's my proof, blah, blah, blah. And the banks could reimburse your money. If that happens to you in Bitcoin, psh, the game's a game. That's your money gone. But obviously, there's ways you can safeguard yourself. 
same way there's ways you can safeguard yourself with traditional uses of money. So yeah, cryptocurrency is a potential outlet. Well, I think, well, it's going to be another option for currency in the future when we go cashless because we are going cashless. Like, all the signs are right in front of our eyes to see. So that's something to bear in mind. So when you're seeing all the cryptocurrency hype, make sure you have a read into it. Ask me any questions you want or some of the people I recommend to you because you're going to want to have at least a variety, a, ver- um, a varied option in how you're going to have your money held. Some people will still prefer to, and they'll trust in the banks and there's been reasons why the banks are getting us to trust them. Me personally, I disagree. And some of us will make just want to have a balance. We have some money in the banks, some money in crypto, some might just want to have money in crypto. But it's good to have the information so you can make decisions for yourself and what you're comfortable with. So yeah, that is my podcast on Cashless Society. And now I'm going to answer some questions that some of the listeners have sent to me. So somebody raised an issue, a lot of young gentlemen being going missing in Enfield, seen a lot of tweets from missing people. When it comes to missing people, I'm not as informed on this case, but I want to let people know that some some young men or women are missing. They're not actually missing. They're deliberately away for certain reasons. But if you have any information, always contact authorities. And I'm going to look into this a lot more because it seems a bit suspicious that a lot of like ethnic minority gentlemen between the age of 14 to 16 have gone missing in a certain, a certain area in a certain time. So that's something to look look into. And if you have any information, please hand it over to their family firstly and then authorities as well. And I had a, a, quite a few questions Bitcoin-related. Is it too late to purchase and invest in Bitcoins? And Seth Kumba asks, with trend in cryptos, can anybody be success without a large buy-in? I'm sure my homie Bola's going to answer this on her podcast. I'm going to answer it in my next podcast as well. But it's not too late to purchase Bitcoin. Of course, it's 12 bags probably for Bitcoin now or something ridiculous like that. You can purchase a percentage. You can also get involved with other currencies. There's loads of um, exchanges like Coinbase, Bitfinance, Bitfinex, where you can get involved and purchase certain coins. But I always recommend to at least do your Google, do some research. If it's, there's some people in your timeline that have information, there's tons of podcasts and YouTube. Just ask me and I'll put you in the right direction for some to see if it's something that you're going to be comfortable with. But it's not too late. And you don't need a massive amount. Obviously, the more money you invest, and if it goes right, the more money you're going to make. But people are making quite healthy profits already, which obviously can change at any time. And another gentleman asked me a very good detailed question, but I'm going to tackle that on my next podcast because I actually want to think about it a bit more. But shout out to you. And yeah, that is the end of episode 38. Cashless podcast. No, that's nonsense. A cashless society. Please like on SoundCloud, I believe, and follow so that the podcast comes straight to you. It comes straight into your feeds. It's a lot easier to have to go searching for it. And if you're following, please give it a young retweet. So if anyone's following you, especially musicians, people can see it. If you're listening to it on Apple Podcasts, give it a nice review. If you think it's whack, say it. Preferably not, but here's what it is. If you think it's good, show some love. So just search Dysonomics on iTunes and you could give it a quick... You could scroll to the bottom, give it five stars, four stars, three, two, one, whichever you want. And subscribe so it comes straight to you, especially with Apple Podcasts. You can download... You can set up so it can automatically download your favourite podcasts, which you can listen to offline. And the advantage of Apple Podcasts over SoundCloud is that if you listen to the SoundCloud and a connection connects and you lock the app, that's it, you have to listen to it again. But with Apple Podcasts, 
you can listen to it, stop, and come back on another day. So yeah, any feedback, let me know. I'll link all the relevant information in the description of our podcast. God bless. Sports Social Podcast Network.